0: Thank you that it is living, it is active, it is sharp than any two-edged sword. As we look at it now, help us to understand it, believe, apply, and obey it, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please do be seated. Well, if you were with us last week, you'll know we've begun a little series in our morning services on the second letter of Peter. And today we're looking at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 to 21. You can find that on page 1,222 of the Bibles before you, if you'd like to turn to it. Uh, 2 Peter 1, 12 to 21. And as I begin, I'd just like to read uh, one or two of the early verses, from verses 12 to 15. Just pick out a few phrases there to see a common theme that keeps on rising in these verses. Verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. And are firmly established in the truth you now have i think it is right to refresh your memory verse 15 and i will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things one of the great problems as i guess many of us have discovered of advancing years is the deterioration in one's memory when i was in my early 20s learning bible verses was pretty easy i used to learn about one a week and could always remember them now it is much more difficult. I could also remember all sorts of sporting trivia. I remember results of cricket matches, who'd scored how many runs, who'd taken wickets, and so on. In fact, I was a fund of useless information. Now, however hard I try, I can't manage it. In fact, one of the things I set myself was trying to learn the names of the state capitals of every state in America. But no matter how often I rehearse them, there are still some that I can't manage to remember. And I'm sure I'm not alone in this, I have to confess I find it increasingly hard to remember names, even of people I know pretty well. Suddenly their names escape me. It's very, very embarrassing. But I find myself more and more in sympathy with a couple of, uh, shall we say, mature ladies who had been great friends for many decades. Over the years they'd shared all sorts of activities and adventures. Lately their activities have been slightly curtailed and been limited to meeting a few times a week to play cards. One day, while they were playing cards, one lady looked at the other and said, now please, don't get mad at me. I know we've been friends for a long time, but I just can't remember your name. I've thought and thought, but I can't recall it. Please, tell me what your name is. Well, the other friend glared at her. For at least three minutes, he didn't say a word. Finally, she said, how soon do you need to know? <laughs> I'm afraid I don't know about you, but that's getting a little bit close to the mark for me. I'm not alone, I'm sure. But when it comes to remembering, it's not just our human memory that struggles, is it? Also, more importantly, our spiritual memory needs constant refreshing. And that's why the Bible talks often about the need to remember. In the Old Testament, the people were told again and again never to forget what God had done for them in bringing them out of Egypt, taking them into the Promised Land. They were given the various festivals above all Passover so that they could remember every year the wonder of what God had done for them. Well, the New Testament also is full of calls for us to remember God's goodness. That's why we have the communion service. So we never forget what Christ did on the cross. So we never begin to think that somehow we did it ourselves, that we've earned our forgiveness and not recognize that all we have, we owe to what he has done for us. Well, here in 2 Peter, the apostle is seeking to encourage these young believers to keep going in the face of all sorts of false teaching around them. And three times in these verses, he tells them that they must remember these things. That was the key to keeping going. In the face of all the false teaching that they were being faced with, the key to keeping going was to remember these things. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them. And to firmly establish the truth you now have i think it is right to refresh your memory i will make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things you must always remember he's saying so what are these things that they need to remember well they are the fundamental truths of the gospel the teaching of the prophets and of the apostles ptoc wants us to know that we can trust the witness of the apostles verses 16 to 18 and we can trust the word of the prophets in verses 19 to 21. And if you think about it, these two really together make up the whole Bible. There's a theme in the New Testament. Paul, back in Ephesians 2, had said, The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. The apostles, the prophets, the same too. So when Peter talks here of the apostles and the prophets, he is referring to our scriptures. The Old Testament the prophets the New Testament the Apostles you'll know that the criterion for being accepted as a New Testament letter or book or being accepted into the canon of the New Testament that it was something written by one of the Apostles and so the New Testament and the Old Testament are the things that Peter is referring to this book the Bible is the key to their keeping going in the faith and not being led astray Now, one of the foremost New Testament scholars of our age is a man called Dr. Wayne Grudem. Some of you may have read some of his writings. In one of his books, he identifies four things that we need to know about the Scriptures, about the Bible. And all of them are touched on here in what Peter says. First of all, we need to know about the authority of Scripture, that Scripture is the Word of God. So, verse 21, here we see men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit these words come with all the authority of god himself secondly there is their sufficiency in other words scripture has all that we need for knowing christ we don't need something else we don't need some extra teaching that's the point a little bit earlier uh, where paul talks about uh, the sufficiency uh, of christ god has given us everything we need uh, for life in knowing his son the lord jesus He has given us everything we need in the Bible then there is thirdly clarity God has spoken in a way that we can understand so Peter describes scripture in verse 19 as a light shining in a dark place now of course not everything in the Bible is totally clear there are some things that are hard to understand Peter himself says of Paul's letter that they contain some things hard to understand that's in chapter 3 of this letter But the things that are most important are clear in the Bible. This is not an obscure book that only priests and scholars can understand. We've got to get away from that sort of clericalism, which regards the Bible as being the preserve of the few, the sort of the people who know all the details and all the background and everything. No, anybody can pick up a Bible and read it and understand it. That's one of the wonders of it. That's why it is a light shining in a dark place. That's why God says to parents, teach this to your children. That's why we're told in the Psalms, the word itself will make the simple wise. See, anybody can read this book and learn from it. You don't need some specialist, some expert. So we know the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture, and finally the necessity. You see, what would we know about God if we didn't have the Scriptures? And the answer is very little. We would not understand Him if it was not for the Bible. We might know from the creation that God is great and glorious. But we'd never know about his love we'd never know that christ had died for our sins and risen again we would never know that he's coming again in power and glory we need the scriptures we cannot get by without them if we want to understand god and what god says we desperately need to understand and read this book See, so the fact is there are many people today who will call themselves christians who think that in some ways they can do without the bible i was at the wedding of a very good friend some years ago The address was given by a leader at one of the biggest english churches the name probably most of us here would know very well at the start of his address he said something along these lines he said we all know what the bible says we've heard the bible read so i'm going to leave that and i want to give you a special word from god for today in other words we can leave aside the bible because we all know what it says well the fact is we don't all know what it says or at the very least we very quickly forget it and that's why Peter says I will always remind you I will go on reminding you I will never stop reminding you see we must never think we know it all and even if we didn't know it all we'd very very quickly forget it so we need to be reminded but on what does Peter base his confidence in the Bible there are two things first of all he tells us that the Apostles saw God's son that's the import of verses 16 to 18 we didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty For he received honor and glory from God the father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying this is my son whom I love with him I'm well pleased we ourselves heard this voice that came from the mountain when we were with him on the sacred mountain now Peter seems to be referring here to the transfiguration that time when he and James and John saw the Lord Jesus transformed before their eyes. They saw God's Son, and they heard God's voice concerning his Son. See, that is the reason why the New Testament has such power and authority for us today. It is written by those who were eyewitnesses of Jesus' his glory. They saw all that he did. They heard what he said. They were witnesses. They were there. Somebody was saying yesterday after the uh, events in the uh, olympic stadium last night that there are 80,000 there but in 10 years time there'll no doubt be 800,000 claiming that they were there it's probably true but we know full well that these apostles were there nobody can deny that these were eyewitnesses of what happened now do you see the force of this you see if you read some of the modern theologians you would think that a great deal of the new testament never happened jesus didn't perform the miracles because well those sort of things never happened do they Jesus didn't rise from the dead because, well, dead people don't rise. Jesus won't come back because he's not really God at all. That's what these people often say. Remember David Jenkins, a former bishop of Durham, who achieved a certain notoriety in the 80s. He once said this, there is absolutely no certainty in the New Testament about anything of importance. What an unbelievable thing to say. And what does Peter say here? We saw it with our own eyes. We witnessed it. He's saying you can be certain. I promise these things are true. Or take Jack Spong, who was formerly a, a bishop of Newark in New Jersey in America. This is what he said about the resurrection. Jesus was placed in a common grave. He was covered over. In a very short time, only some unmarked bones remained. Even the bones were gone before too long. Nature rather efficiently reclaims its own resources. A deceased man did not walk out of his grave physically alive three days after his execution by crucifixion. Now, isn't that just unbelievable arrogance 2,000 years later he claims to know better than the people who are actually there what does Peter say we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ we were eyewitnesses of his glory you see he says Jack Spong you are a liar we saw it we weren't making up stories this actually happened we were eyewitnesses never let anyone tell you Peter is saying that it didn't happen that is the Apostles saw God's son they were there they were eyewitnesses of his glory well someone said okay what about the Old Testament how do you how how do you how do you account for that well Peter says secondly the prophets spoke God's Word and we have the word of the prophets made more certain made more certain because it's been fulfilled and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And this is the key bit. Above all, you must understand, no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here the question is, where does the Old Testament come from? From where does it derive its authority? So first of all, Peter tells us where it didn't come from. It didn't come from a person's own interpretation, from an individual's own imagination. See, it is very easy, isn't it, to stand up and say that you have a word from God. You'll find all sorts of people around the world saying that. That's why in Israel, the penalty for being a false prophet was stoning. If you claimed to be speaking God's word when you were not, it was regarded as being a deadly, serious matter. People knew, to see, there was a world of difference between peddling your own ideas and speaking God's word. So you go into the Cotswold bookstore in Morton or you go into Smith's or any other bookshop, you will see hundreds, thousands of books. How did they come to be written? Well, the author felt that he or she had something worth saying, so they wrote a book. The book came from that person's will, that person's insight, that person's initiative, that person's creativity. And the history of the world is littered with different interpretations of life and truth, which you will find recorded in millions upon millions of books. There's the communist view, the fascist view, the Islamic view, the New Age view, the environmental view, the liberal view, the conservative view. There are thousands, millions of different views. Peter says the Bible is not like that. It doesn't belong in that lineup. It's not another bunch of men pushing their own ideas on, of life on us. Don't put the Old Testament prophets in that long list of interpretations of God, life, meaning, and existence that people peddle in the world today. No. If you want to understand the Bible, Peter is saying, you need to know that it is fundamentally different than any other writing the world has ever known. Verse 21. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This puts the Bible in a different category from every other book ever written, religious or secular, since the beginning of time. Now, isn't this a wonderful thing? You see, if what Peter says here were not true, we could hardly know anything about God at all. And if we didn't know him, we couldn't find everything we need for life in him. If God had not spoken, all we would have would be the sum of human experiences you can find in the Cotswold bookstore, in Smith's or whatever, much of which is immensely painful, and almost all of which is confused. Now, God, in a world of opinion, has given us this revelation. See, the world is full of religion and philosophy and psychology, but there is no other book like this one. In all the centuries of history, in all the continents of the world, there never has been, there never will be anything else like the scripture. That's why we're to treasure it, that's why we're to remind ourselves of these things. So what does Peter mean then when he says I will remind you of these things even though you know them what does it mean to remember well remembering in the Bible is much more than just being able to recall something that's happened it's about what happened becoming real and fresh alive and present for us today see earlier in chapter 1 Peter describes the person who professes faith and never grows verse 9 If anyone doesn't have these things, these qualities that we looked at last week, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, and so on, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. See, that's the great danger, Peter says. It's not that the person is unaware of the fact that there is forgiveness in Christ. If you go up to a person like that and said, Jesus died for your sins, they'd say, oh, of course I know that. That's not the problem. The problem is not the person doesn't recall the forgiveness, but the forgiveness doesn't mean much to them anymore. It's no longer something that's real, alive, and fresh, and present for him. It's no longer shaping his life. It's become dull. We presume upon God. We just think everything's fine. God will forgive us. It doesn't really matter. And we forget the wonder of what God has done for us and his demands upon us. And I suspect if we're honest, we'd have to say, many of us, that that is true of us. Or at least it has been true at some stage in our lives we know the words we can recite the formulae but somehow it doesn't mean quite what it meant it's lost its wonder and peter says i'm going to go on reminding you of these things so you never forget them i want to refresh your memory i want to bring your memory to life again so that you can truly see the wonder of the lord jesus christ and all he's done and i want to make every effort to make sure that when i go when i've gone you will still be able to remember these things they would still be the most important things for you in all the world See, in this jubilee year we we've often thought haven't we how the queen was given the scriptures the most valuable thing this world affords well i hope we truly believe that that is what peter is saying this is the key to keeping going in the christian life don't ever think you know it don't ever think you can do without it don't ever presume upon god's grace we need to come back to the scriptures every day We need to feed on them, learn from them, be thrilled by them, and continue to remember the wonder of what God has done. See, our human memories may be failing, but let's pray that our spiritual memories are as sharp as ever. I think the greatest Christian man I ever knew, I remember knowing him only at the end of his life, uh, when his mind was beginning to go a little bit. I heard him give some of the most riveting talks to teenagers. I've ever heard anyone give And that was when he was 79 or 80. He was an extraordinary man. But towards the end of his life, his mind started to go. And I remember a friend of his talking about him at that time, saying how you know, he'd become more and more confused. He said, but when he prayed, the years rolled away. And it was just like he was young. And I guess that's what I long for our spiritual memory. Our human memories will go and they'll fade. But I pray that our spiritual memory will never fade. That it will always be fresh. That when we read the scriptures, when we pray, when we speak of Christ, actually it will be as living and as vivid as it ever was. Let's pray that that is true for each one of us. Let's pray, and then we'll sing our final hymn together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the word of the prophets, which was not their own interpretation, not their own ideas. It was your word. And we thank you for the witness of the apostles who saw you with their own eyes, who heard the voice from heaven, who saw the miracles and heard your teaching. We thank you, therefore, we can trust this word, that it is unlike any other. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be thrilled by it. To constantly remind ourselves of the truths found in them and to teach one another these truths. And we ask it for your namesake. Amen.